Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. And today we're going to finally, because the selection has been over, but it's also been getting on my nerves, I get a chance to talk about college football with none other than Dan Wolken from the USA Today. I'm so excited to get to talk to him about my Gamecocks, of course. Talk to him about why Ohio State doesn't belong in the college football playoff. Dan actually thinks they belong. Me and Dabo Sweeney. Don't ask me how we end up agreeing on anything, but that's where we are. And along that same note, I wanted to do my introduction today about the college football playoffs and specifically Ohio State. Now, we're approaching championship weekend in college football where Power Five conferences are crowning their champions. And because of COVID, we've got a special circumstance involving the Big Ten powerhouse, namely that they've only played five games, one, two, three, four, five, and have no signature victories. And they played roughly half the games of other teams like Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Texas A&M. So you could imagine a world where a six-win Florida State team gets into the college football playoffs and has to play against teams that have had far more games and wear and tear. And while I always have to check myself, maybe more than once, when I agree with Dabo Sweeney, He's right here. Even if Ohio State wins the Big Ten Championship, they shouldn't be in the final four teams that play for a championship this year. Even if they're arguably one of the top four teams in the country, it's simply not fair to everyone else. And the top four teams, in my opinion, are Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and wait for it, Texas A&M. Shout out to Coastal Carolina as well. Give me a Texas A&M team that has beat Florida, beat Auburn, and more importantly, will have played a 10-game schedule. Ohio State has no signature victories and essentially the equivalent of three bye weeks. They should be in a New Year's Bowl for sure, or maybe even the Duke Manning's Bowl. Who cares? But the playoffs should be reserved for teams that have played full seasons, run the gauntlet, and had signature victories. And that's that on that. I cannot wait to have USA Today college football reporter Dan Wolken, and we talk about college football, the playoffs, coaching carousels, the lack of black coaches. This is going to be a dope episode. And welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today I have a special guest with me. I think I'm I am honest in saying that he probably gets more Twitter blowback and has more Twitter trolls than I do. Uh, but Dan Wolken, I want to welcome him to the show. What's going on, Dan? How are you? Man, I don't think I have as many as you, but uh, <laughs> you know, you just gotta kind of try to say what's on your mind and then Whatever happens from there, you just deal with it, right? That, <laughs> that's all you t- can do. You just speak your truth and move and keep moving. That's that's the way I look at life, man. No, yeah, and no, I appreciate you having me. It's good to be here. Uh, obviously, a big fan of your work, and uh, no, it's it's cool. It's uh, interesting time of year for for me, and and you know, with you, I know you're a big sports fan, and and you've yeah. had a lot of politics uh, this year, so it's cool. Yeah, man. So I, I start all of our interviews off by having my guest walk. Uh, listeners through the arc of their career. And you started out with the Colorado Springs Gazette. And then from there, you went to the Commercial Appeal in Memphis to brief stints at the Daily and FoxSports.com, now at USA Today. Walk us through each of those stops, what you learned covering, and some of those beats that you had at each of those stops. Yeah, so when I got out of college, I went to Vanderbilt. And before I had graduated, I had been talking to the people in Colorado Springs. And you know, that was a great paper to to start at. And they had the job for me and then it froze. And that probably should have been my indication that that maybe 
the uh, sports journalism business was was not growing at, at the rate that uh, we all hoped it would. But I, I ended up taking an internship for a while, and then they were eventually able to hire me full time. So I get out there in in January of 2002. It was really an unbelievable situation because I had basically been introduced to those folks by Lee Jenkins, who used to work for Sports Illustrated. He's now uh, works for the LA Clippers. Lee and I went to college together. So we've known each other I, really since we were kids. And he kind of got me in the door Lee there. Lee Jenkins is that young? Yeah. Uh, so I graduated from college in 2001. Lee was two years older than me. So we worked Lee together. Wrote those, he wrote those exposés on LeBron James, right? Yeah. So, so when he was at SI, he focused mainly on the NBA. And so he got to know LeBron and, and yeah, for a while he was kind of like the LeBron whisperer in, <laughs> in some way. And I wrote the big story when he went back to Cleveland and, and that's yes. where it debuted was in sports, sports illustrated. So, yeah. So, so Lee taught me a lot and, and helped get me in the door there. And he had moved on by that point to the orange County register. And yet uh, we had some unbelievable people. I worked there with John branch, who is a Pulitzer prize winner. Uh, who's now at the New York times has wrote, several books uh, along the way. Uh, just some really awesome people. So I was there for a while. I covered a college hockey. That was my first beat. But, uh, Colorado Springs, they've got a really good college hockey team at, at CC, Colorado College. They were nationally ranked and all that. It was a big deal. I would go to every other week to North Dakota and Minnesota and those places in December <laughs> and January and freeze, which for me as a kid from Arkansas <laughs> was interesting. But so I was there for a while, and then I, I did some pro sports, ended up covering Air Force Academy, mm-hmm. and got some attention nationally. Like, this is pre-Twitter. Now, if you're a young writer, people see your stuff yeah, because yeah. it's just – it finds its way into the, the Twitter sphere. Like, back then, we didn't have Twitter, so you kind of had to, like, write stuff that, that won an award or something like that. So people saw my stuff. I, I did this big story about Air Force football, and – uh, that led to some opportunities and, and people looking at me. And then Memphis hired me to cover uh, Memphis basketball, the end of the John Calipari era, Derrick Rose going to the final four. Really Getting incredible. Beat by Kansas. They got beat time. by Kansas. Great. Big shot by Mario Chalmers. So I'm sitting there in San Antonio at the final four. I've got my entire piece written. Memphis wins the national championship. You know, it's, this is the piece that's going to be, I'm envisioning in my head, like, this is going to be on the walls of every sports bar in the city forever. Like my name is going to be associated with this. And then all of a sudden it just, you know, in, in the blink of an eye goes, goes poof. They, mi- they miss free throws. And then Mario Chalmers, big shot, Mario. I'll, I'll never forget at the end of that game, I'm sitting there courtside. You get great seats at the final four. If you're, if you're a reporter and I, I'm directly looking at Chris Douglas Roberts shooting free throws at the end of the game and his knees are just shaking. <laughs> I'll just never forget that. And look, they, they were not a good free throw shooting team all season. And, and everyone was always like, yeah, that's what's going to get them in the end. But they were just, they were really nervous as I'm sure, you know, a lot of people would be in that situation. So they end up, yeah, Chalmers hits the shot for the tie, goes to overtime. I've got to rewrite the story, but that was an incredible run. And then I got hired uh, by, Somebody I'd met when I was really young, he was the sports editor of the Newark Star-Ledger, and he had never really been able to hire me. But then he went to this uh, new venture called The Daily and basically was part of News Corp. Rupert Murdoch wanted to build this iPad-only newspaper right at the time when the iPad was a big deal. 
and it was awesome. I took the job, moved to New York for two years. I covered every sporting event in the country, wrote columns, really helped raise my profile as a, as a journalist. Uh, unfortunately, as soon as kind of the iPad became a thing, it, it kind of got replaced by the iPhone. By the iPhone quickly. <laughs> like really quickly. And, but our product was awesome. Like, I don't know if you ever saw it, but like just the way it looked, it was beautiful, uh, had all these features and, and videos and all kinds of stuff popping out of it. But the iPhone basically made it obsolete. So they uh, laid all of us off and I was really lucky they laid us off right when USA Today was hiring. I had some connections there, and they wanted to bring me on to cover college sports. So it's kind of what happened. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking college sports today, particularly college football, because that's the season we're in. And as we kick off the show, we're on the ringer, so we got to talk sports. And I, that, I've just been driving myself crazy talking about what's going on in Washington, D.C. And I want to start with... As 2020 happened, something Dabo and I actually agree with. I want to talk about Ohio State because you seem to believe that a 5-0 and Ohio State team should get into the college football playoffs if they win the Big Ten Championship this weekend. But Dabo and I, which never happens, disagree with you. Um, help me understand why a team with no signature victories and that have played in only six games should play in the playoffs with teams like Alabama and Clemson who have had to play a full 10-game conference-only schedule. Well... The reason is because the way the playoff has been set up and the way that they wanted to build this thing was about the best teams. It wasn't about most deserving. It wasn't about who had the best resume. This is about who's the best. And certainly in this particular year, because of the pandemic and the way the Big Ten started late and all that went along with cancellations, it's left Ohio state in this position where they they've played like half as many games as, as, as a Clemson, but they are one of the best four teams. Like they're, they're really good. They could win the national championship. So if you take them out and you replace them with a team that frankly can't win a national championship. And I think anybody else you could put in there would fit into that category. Then your playoff isn't going to be as good or as interesting. And it goes against what, this is supposed to be about. Now, I think you could have a playoff with eight teams, five automatic conference champions, three at-large teams, and then you don't have to make sort of these determinations about eye test and what does best really mean. But the committees demonstrated that they think best means best. And Ohio State, based on what they've done when they've played, is one of the four best teams. Yeah. I hear you. I just think that they still have some some proving to do. I think a, a one-loss Texas A&M team, and I would have said the same thing about a Florida team, as you can tell I'm an SEC homer, uh, prior to uh, this past weekend, uh, is deserving. I actually think that Coastal Carolina has a better resume. I don't know. They're, they're probably not a better football team, but they have a better right. resume um, beating BYU and Appalachian State. Uh, let's talk about my Gamecocks. What's your take on our Beamer hire? Because I'm not quite sold. <laughs> so... It's interesting because Shane Beamer, if we're just being honest, for many years has been trying to get head coaching jobs. And even at some schools that are not as prominent as South Carolina and has not been able to, to land that job. And yet when this South Carolina job comes open this time, almost immediately there was sort of this gravitational pull towards Shane Beamer for a lot of reasons, including the fact that he was part of Steve Spurrier's coaching staff uh, that helped produce that great run they went on 
about a decade ago and certainly had built great relationships, I think, with some of the boosters there and probably had those people in his corner. But the reality is, you know, a person as a head coach, they're not the sum of their their resume parts. It's a totally different job. And Mm. you don't really know what someone's going to be when they get into that chair. There's been this model for as long as college football has been around that the head coach is probably going to be an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. And then they're going to get a job at a small school and then they're going to win there. And then they're going to work their way up and win there and then, and then just move up the ladder. But I think we've seen just the paradigm is changing a little bit. Look at the fact that last year Ed Orgeron won a national championship, failed head coach, in his first time around, uh, doesn't fit the model at all. That I mean, was but, Sweeney, but, but Dan, you could have won with well, that team last year. That was the best offensive team. And you can't tell me Ed knows how to coach offensive football. Brady, listen, Brady's a beast as offense coordinator. As, as, as He's actually doing wonders with the Carolina Panthers. And that was the best offense I've seen since Tommy Frazier was running the option. Sure, but he is the head coach who was responsible for hiring the staff and bringing in the players. Was there luck involved? Sure. I don't think anybody envisioned what was going to happen. But my point is, I, I can't take that national championship away from him. Dabo Sweeney was a wide receivers coach, uh, had never been a coordinator. Even this year at Arkansas, Sam Pittman did a great job, and he was never a coordinator. He was the offensive line coach. So, so we're seeing, you know, Urban Meyer, another example of a guy who, it's not like he was a coordinator uh, and, you know, had this great reputation for for running an offense. He, so, I just think there's different ways to do it and you have to judge it on the person. And I don't know whether Shane Beamer is the guy or not. I really don't. And I don't think anybody does, but he's, he is, he's a good dude. He's going to hire a good staff because people are going to want to work for him. Have you heard about it? Have you heard anything about his staff that he's bringing to Columbia? No, you know, I haven't really. There's been so many other head coaching jobs open that I've been trying to track. Also, things to you are more important than South Carolina football, huh? Well, (laughs) you know, if South Carolina was in playoff contention, I'd certainly be paying a lot more attention. Um, But, uh, no, there's just so much going on in the coaching world right now. I haven't really uh, dug into – What's going on with the the staff at South Carolina? So tell me this: but, What about what about Hugh Freeze in Mississippi? In Mississippi, he was just leaving Mississippi. Hugh Freeze in Auburn is that a thing? Yeah, I think it could be a thing. I don't think it's a thing yet. Auburn uh, is a complicated place. There's a lot so of cooks I, in, I, in the kitchen. I got a qu- I got a question for you about Auburn sure. specifically, but I can't leave my Gamecocks before I go to Auburn. Do you think an Oklahoma style offense can happen in South Carolina and be successful in the SEC? And kind of a compound question, Florida's now the team to beat in the East with Georgia a close second. What's the playbook for rebuilding a South Carolina program that can compete in the East again so we're not hanging out in the doldrums with Vanderbilt? No well, offense Car- to it. Yeah, no, South Carolina's a tough job. It'll be interesting to see who he picks as offensive coordinator. I think you've seen the trend in the SEC move toward the, the wide-open spread-style offenses. Uh, that's becoming, I think, the, the standard now in the SEC. And I'm sure he'll he'll bring in somebody – with Oklahoma ties probably to, to run that, but it's a tough job. Now, look, I think Columbia is a, a cool city. I, I enjoy when I, when I have to go there, they've got good facilities. It's, you know, it's a, it's an interesting campus, interesting place. Uh, and it's close to Atlanta. It's close to Charlotte. You're accessible to a lot of players, but there's also just a lot of other really good football programs that people have to drive past to get to you. 
You know, they got to, <laughs> they got to, they got to drive past Georgia. They got to drive past Clemson. So the coach who wins there has got to evaluate really well, get in early with young kids, maybe before the Clemsons and the Georgias notice them and, and work them really hard to, to establish those relationships. I think it can be done. There's no doubt it's a tough job, though. Now, in a recent article, you called Auburn football a quote-unquote warped fantasy because they gave Malzahn a seven-year, $49 million contract after beating Alabama and going to the SEC championship back in 2017, and now they owe him $21 million that they'll be paying in the middle of a pandemic. Are Auburn fans going to regret getting off the Gus bus? I don't know that they're going to regret it, but there's certainly a possibility that the next guy isn't as successful as Gus. And I thought I wrote a column in 2017 when Arkansas was coming after him really hard. I wrote a column saying he should take the Arkansas job, that he should go back to his home state, start over there because it had been a roller coaster to that point. Gus had had gotten to the championship game his first year. They had a little dip. They went back up. People call for his job the minute they have a two-game losing streak. Auburn is a little bit of a crazy place, and there's a lot of booster involvement, a lot of people who uh, feel ownership of of what goes on on in that program, and so you you have to make them happy. You've got to kiss their butt a little bit, and you've got to win, and it's hard to do that consistently when you've got Nick Saban at Alabama. So I thought Gus did reasonably well at Auburn. Now there were some dips and there were some games he shouldn't have lost. And his offense, we beat him this year. That was a terrible loss. His offense has gotten a little bit stale at times. Uh, But I also think that, that what they're asking for from a coach might be uh, a little bit unrealistic right now. And it's just a lot of money. Now it's not my money. It's probably, you know, some billionaire, who's who's chipping in a lot of it but it's just a lot of money to spend to have somebody not coach who should they hire and what's the playbook for long-term success at Auburn especially because you're going to be the little brother to Nick Saban yeah well I I guess the good news is Nick Saban's not going to be at Alabama forever you know he's 69 years old um how much longer another 11 years okay he's going to (laughs) coach till he's 80 yeah I, I mean I guess he could he's in good shape but I think uh, some of the names that have been out there, like Hugh Freeze, I, I don't know that I'd put him as the favorite right now. I think sort of the stuff in his his past is is probably a little bit uh, of a factor, and and maybe some people saying he he it's not the right time for him. Billy Napier at Louisiana Lafayette, he was at Alabama uh, before with with Nick Saban. He's had a good head coaching career. People are talking about Mario Cristobal at Oregon, but but Mario Cristobal is staying at Oregon and Billy Napier is asking for a shit ton of money. Yeah. uh, Well, you're going to have to pay uh, somebody, you know, and, and you've heard that some boosters there really want to just promote Kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator. You know, I think you could make a case personally that somebody like Bill O'Brien should be in the mix at Auburn. Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien, the job he did at Penn state, to get them out of the muck when when uh, Joe Paterno was fired, it, it was really remarkable the way he stabilized that program. He obviously did not have a good run in the NFL. There's a lot of guys who, who've lost in the NFL who've 
been good college coaches before, Nick like your Saban. boy Steve, like your boy Steve Spurrier. Yeah, true. Um, I just so, Bill, Bill O'Brien's tenure in the NFL. He probably needs to have another year removed from how awful that was. I, I just think he's a he's a serious guy. He he's a tough guy. He can stand up to a lot of the criticism. It's not a job for somebody who's got thin skin, you know. And I think he. He's he's been through enough stuff that that he can deal with just a lot of the adversity that that comes at you when you're at a place like Auburn. Uh, well, LSU be back next year, or are they going to suck forever? I mean, I know I, I hear rumblings that they're probably going to be on probation sometime soon. <laughs> so, what's the LSU status? Well, that is a big wild card in all this. Is what happens? We know that they've been under investigation. Uh, they've had the the booster who was embezzling money from a cancer charity and uh, was was paying the the father of a, a recruit uh, several years ago and there's other things that, that I'm sure the NCAA is looking at but you saw uh last week there were some stories about a disconnect between Ed Orgeron and a lot of his players some of it was related to frankly how he responded to mm-hmm. the social justice issues from from the summer and his players uh, wanting to make their voices heard and Ed maybe not being quite as 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 responsive or dialed in on that. And you've seen a lot of guys transfer and leave. And it, it, it's so between that and he's going to have to make some coaching changes. I do think there's a lot of um, flux at LSU that, you know, you could certainly see it bouncing back because it's LSU and they always get good players. But I could also see us sitting here a year from now saying Ed Orgeron, you know, is the next Gene Chizik and it, and LSU's doing a coaching search. Oh, wow. Uh, what's going on in Michigan with Jim Harbaugh? And if he's not the answer in Michigan, who is? I fundamentally don't believe he's the answer in Michigan. I think that he can go back and have a successful career in the NFL. I just don't know if he coaches. I mean, he did a great job at Stanford. What, what, what's the deal? Yeah, why, why it hasn't been as successful as we all thought. I actually famously had a tweet the day that they hired him saying that he was going to win a national championship within five years. I really thought he was that much of a difference maker uh, coming there as a head coach. And, and obviously that, that didn't happen. Although certainly they were about an inch away from making the playoffs in 20, I guess it was 2016 against Ohio state. And, and the whole conversation may have changed if, if that had gone their way, but I think he's not made very good hires on his staff, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, they, they've not identified a quarterback. There's a litany of reasons why, but there's no institutional appetite right now in Michigan to get rid of him. So what's going to happen? One year, he has one year left on his contract, so he's just going to walk around and be a, a – because they're not going to extend him either. Well, I think what they could do is maybe give him an extension that's somewhat short-term, like three years, that's easy for both sides to get out of. You don't want the optics of him going into the last year of his contract, but they don't want to fire him, and unless he gets an NFL job – I'm not sure he's going to leave. So it's a really <laughs> odd situation, and and uh, we'll see. I mean, National Signing Day has, has started poorly for them. Uh, they, I just saw they lost a, a stud defensive lineman to UCLA who, who they had committed. So it, it's it's going to be tough to get it back at this point. It's an unhappy marriage. Nobody wants to file divorce first. Let me ask you a a relatively serious question along the matter. We were talking about social justice a minute ago, but I want to talk about the lack of blackhead coaches because with all the coaching carousel talk, not a single blackhead coach is likely to get one of the top-tier openings this cycle. Do we need a Rooney rule in football, and what will it take for black coaches to break through that 
dominated space of white head coaches in the power five athletic departments, search firms, boosters, trustees, and agents? Yeah, it's tough to really see a Rooney rule being implemented on a NCAA wide or nationwide basis uh, because it's just not the same sort of organizational structures you have like in the NFL. So and it wouldn't I, I be enforced anyway. I mean, hell, it ain't enforced right. in NFL. Right. So it, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's I don't know if that's the answer. It, it's um, it's difficult. And you look this year, three head coaches who were fired: Vanderbilt, Derek Mason, Arizona, uh, Kevin Sumlin, and um, there's a third I'm I'm blanking on. But basically, like until the last week, there were three major FBS head coaching openings and they were all blackhead coaches who were fired. Oh, and, and with South Carolina, we fired ours. Yeah. Well, but they had already filled it by, by that point. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think it's, um, it, it's a situation where you, you have to develop young coaches and put them in coordinator roles and, allow them to, to get their name out there. And if you look at the numbers of, of black coordinators, it's, it's low, it's, it's embarrassingly low. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, I think frankly, one reason why is when a young black assistant comes onto a staff, they're looked at as the recruiter. That's, that's their assigned role is to be the recruiter. And so does that hinder them from the job of a coordinator where you you know, are really more X and O oriented. I talk to like search firm guys all the time. And we're talking about who, you know, the up and coming coaches are. And, and like this year, when I, a few weeks ago, I, I was talking to some of these folks and they were like, you know, we have a real problem here because we're trying to put these lists together for, for athletic directors. And we don't have a lot of black assistants who are ready to be head coaches, or at least that we could present to these schools as being qualified to be head coaches in, in the power five right now. And so it's, it's gotta be on the administrators, the athletic directors to guide their head coaches in that direction to, to really develop younger assistants into coordinators, put them on that platform. And, and then they're much more likely to be hired as head coaches. It's, it's, it's not an easy problem to solve, but it's going to take everybody pulling in the same direction. You know, I wanted South Carolina to go after James Franklin. I, I think that was more of a pipe dream than anything else. But now I want uh, – I'm hopeful that at least we bring in somebody like Ke- Kevin Sumlin, the coach on the offense, or Derek Mason, the coach on the defense, somebody who has a proven track record who can maybe win in the SEC and, and you know, rebuild these guys and send them back out. Do you think Sumlin's going to have a head coaching job, or do you think he's just going to take a break? No, you know, I think someone's a great example of a guy who, um, after he got fired at A&M, probably should have taken a break. Yeah. As stressful as those jobs are, and someone had a rough time at A&M. Like the last couple of years, just constant speculation about whether he was going to be fired. It, it was stressful on him, stressful he on his family. He was going to the NFL at one point, too, you know? <laughs> Certainly he was a candidate for that. You know, and, and I think once you once you get fired, once it's over – I do think it benefits coaches to take a breath and, you know, go relax, get physically healthy, get mentally strong, get refreshed and energized because those jobs do wear you down. And to jump right back in to a hard job like Arizona, I don't think that did him any favors except for financially. (laughs) 
Oh, that's that's a huge favorite. Uh, let me ask you this question before we start wrapping up. Is there any reason why Devontae Smith shouldn't win the Heisman this year? Because it's clear he's the best player in college football. I mean, that's yeah, not it, even it's not even close. It seems like the momentum is is in his favor right now, that that there's more and more people who believe that he should be the the Heisman winner. And and we'll see how how the votes come in. I, I the last impression is often the one that gets voters to over the top. I don't vote for the Heisman. Uh, I don't really vote for any awards. That's a whole separate story. But um, Wait, what is the story behind that? How can you not? Somebody, we need to fix that. Well, I mean, I've 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 been asked to vote for the Heisman. I, I just, as a personal thing, like as a journalist, I I don't like to vote for awards. I don't I don't think that's my job. I don't think that's the role. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, you know, to to determine something that important. I, it's it's sort of that distinction between reporting on the news and making the news. So there's a lot of people who do. I don't begrudge people voting. I just don't personally do it. Uh, if I had a vote right now, I certainly would be watching what happens in the SEC championship game. If he has another big game there, I think he probably will win it. So uh, before I let you go, let's do some quick weekend predictions uh, for this championship weekend. The SEC championship does Alabama score 50 on Florida. <laughs> if they want to. <laughs> Nick wants to. Uh, the ACC championship, can Notre Dame pull off a second win against Clemson? Yes, yes they can because I think, frankly, Notre Dame is is the better football team at the line of scrimmage. And oh, that's crazy to say, too, because do you remember when Notre Dame – when they had the when they had the kid with the fake girlfriend played Alabama yeah. and you could tell they were going to lose the game when Alabama in the tunnels walked by them and those guys were like oh my god they're fucking huge i was at that game and uh it was over literally within the first minute essentially and but i think that frankly that that game is is how Brian Kelly decided to change a lot of the way they recruited and change the approach and 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 they're so much better than than they were back, you know, eight years ago. And I think, I think they're a, a superior team to Clemson up front. They were really physical with them the first time they played. And I think if they shut down Clemson's running game, they're going to have a really good chance to win. Which they did last time. The, the, the crazy, there are two things. One, Ian Book has his, his feet are too happy. And if he gets <laughs> any pressure, he starts doing the tootsie roll back there. And two, has there been a more successful coach that's least likable than Brian Kelly? Yeah. Or less, less likable than Brian Carey. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think Notre Dame does that to people. Like, if you knew Brian Kelly when he was at Cincinnati, before he was the Notre Dame head coach, he was a pretty, a pretty like laid back type of type of guy. And it, he was he was fiery, but he wasn't unlikable. And I think when you get to a place like Notre Dame, it changes your 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 life. You you kind of close yourself off a little bit and and he does sort of present an air of um i don't even know what the right word is but he, he yeah it doesn't seem like he doesn't seem like a lot of fun to be around <laughs> that's a, but that's a, that's a great way to put it but i think but i think frankly like that i think that's that's him trying to play the role of of what he thinks the notre dame coach should be i don't think that's that's his personality in private uh big 10 championship can northwestern shock the world I don't think so. I, their defense is really good. And I think the X factor in this game is Ohio State hadn't played in, what, three weeks? Something like yeah. that. And they so, haven't played anybody either other than Indiana, maybe? Yeah. And I know you've you've mentioned that a few times during this conversation, <laughs> but they're really good. Like, Justin Fields is awesome. They're, Justin Olave, Fields is great. Yeah. They have the best passing game probably that Ohio State's ever had. 
this year. And, hmm. and obviously the running backs like master Teague is he's, he's a physical freak. And so like they've got all the weaponry you need uh, to win a national title. It's just, are they going to come back a little bit rusty after this three week break? I, I think the lack of reps has probably hurt them. So that would be the only chance Northwestern has to compete in this game. In my opinion, uh, Oregon or USC. I mean, the other USC, the one in California. Yeah. Uh, I think the Trojans win this one. They have kind of been the, the horseshoe up their ass team this year. They've won three games with touchdowns in the final minute. And that does not necessarily indicate that they're like some great dominant team, but I, I think they, they are better than Oregon. Oregon's really young and lost some of their best players to opt outs due to COVID. Um, USC is a way more talented team right now, and I think they should win the game. Oregon legitimately has the best player in college football who's not playing. Yeah. Uh, their Renee defensive Sewell. tackle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Offensive tackle, yeah. Offensive tackle, offensive tackle. Yeah, no, he's awesome. Oklahoma or Iowa State? Yeah, so this is, to me, the game that that I think is the most intriguing, even though it's not going to have any real impact on the playoff. Iowa State won the first time they played. It was really early in the season. Since then, Oklahoma's defense has gotten a lot better, but their offense, it's its its not quite there. It's not what it's been the last few years. And they've got a young kid at quarterback. Like, I think they're going to be fine, but but they don't have a they don't have a Hollywood Brown. They don't have a CD Lamb. So it, it's a different kind of Oklahoma team. And and the head says Oklahoma based on history, but Iowa State's played really well. And and they've gotten better as the season's gone along. I kind of am leaning toward Iowa State right now. That's a good. That's a pretty bold pick. I don't know if I'm gonna take that to Vegas, uh, but we'll see. I, I just felt find that kid at Oklahoma quarterback. He has something in him. He has a lot of moxie, a lot of swag. He has a Conor McGregor type of uh, Baker Mayfield thing going on back. Well, there. his release when he throws the ball, it's a very distinct release, and I almost compare it to Rafael Nadal's forehand like it's just got this sort of like whip action that that makes the ball do crazy things and he's a real talent and if yet, he's ever if if my boy Quincy Avery shout out to Quincy Avery can get a hold of him I mean him and Ian Book just need to be coached up a little bit they do some weird things that they we don't take anything away from what they do naturally sure but like just like plant your foot somewhere <laughs> he's also a, a redshirt freshman you know and I I think um Lincoln Riley's track record of coaching quarterbacks is, is is pretty decent. So I think he'll over time get to where he needs to be. He's just young and doesn't have a lot of experience. And especially like in this year, that's one of the things that's really hurt a lot of these, these young quarterbacks is they didn't have spring practice. They didn't have a real off season. Yeah. And, and, and in Oklahoma's case, they, they didn't play as many games as they would have normally. So yeah, he's awesome, but, but it's going to be some time before we see him at his, his true potential. My last question for you of the day, the most important question to South Carolinians right now, does Billy Napier knock off the Coastal Carolina Dustin Johnsons? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think this is the kind of game that would really worry me if I were Coastal Carolina because you've already played that team once. It was a close game. I think often when there's a rematch, the losing team has a little bit of a mental edge. Coastal Carolina looked a little bit a little bit um, worn down last week against Troy. They were really lucky to win that game. And, you know, maybe they sort of hit their peak there against BYU and they're kind of trending in the wrong direction. 
Uh, they, they've had a great season, and I certainly, for their sake, I hope they finish it off the right way. But that's one I'm I'm a little worried about for them. I, I think Louisiana could get them. Yeah, I don't know. I think they're gonna trounce. I, I thought that last possession against Troy when they like woke up and they scored in like four plays in 30 seconds. I was like, where was this team all night? Uh, anyway, I just want to say thank you for talking some college football with me. We were we were getting to the point where we're going into college football weekend, and you. You know, you actually were my second choice, but Paul Feinbaum wouldn't come on. So there you go. So, oh, no, man. <laughs> ESPN wouldn't let him come on. So I was like, he's also my neighbor, so got to give him a little credit to that. But you are awesome. I follow you on Twitter. I suggest everybody else does. You are literally one of the first things, and some days the only thing I read in the USA Today. So I just want to say thank you for that as well. Well, I appreciate that. That's very nice of you to say, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Have a great day, brother. Keep grinding. All right, thanks, Bakari. Yeah.